Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. In our current era of post-deflategate football, it's hard to imagine a football that could come onto the game that's not approved and not legal. Well, back in the day, there was plenty of them that came in, and they were not identified, but Timothy P. Brown of FootballArchaeology.com joins us to tell us about the bootleg footballs of yesteryear coming up in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pigpen, your portal to positive football history. And welcome to the portal that uh, we're going to go back in time and look at some great football archaeology, some some great old stuff that uh, our friend Timothy P. Brown of footballarchaeology.com is going to share with us from one of his recent tidbits. Uh, Tim, welcome back to the Pigpen. Darren, thank you. Looking forward to chatting about bootleg footballs. It's uh... Yeah, kind of an interesting interesting idea or issue. Everybody knows about bootlegs, but this is a different deal. These are bootleg footballs. Yeah, when I first saw that, I was I was uh, picturing a football full of uh illegal uh, you know, bathtub gin back in the prohibition days, but uh after I read it, I, I was straightened out right away. Uh sorry the way my mind works. But uh, why don't you explain to us uh, the story of bootleg bootleg footballs? Yeah, well, so just, you know, following up on your comment, you know, so leg, you know, the boot leg initially, uh, the first boot leg was Pop Warner at Stanford. He had uh, a, a fake off. So he basically ran a fake Statue of Liberty and the fullback, because he was running a double wing at the time with a fullback deep getting direct snap. Um, he... Uh, faked the Statue of Liberty to the wing coming around um, from right to left and then the fullback ran to the right and everybody went with the you know chase the the right wing who was running to the left and you know he just the fullback ran into the end zone so that's where the the original bootleg came from and it had you know the name came from bootleg gin bootleg rum you know so it was prohibition time and you know, so that's where the name originates. Um, so it's the idea of fake and illegal and inappropriate. And so during the same era, one of the things that was happening is the teams were, you know, some teams were choosing to pass more often than others. And so some of the, you know, back then there were lots of different companies manufacturing footballs. And so some of those manufacturers began making balls that were, uh, uh, you know, the 
the ball had changed. I think it was 1912. Maybe I'm off on that, but you know, somewhere in that area, the ball had been slimmed down from the the big fat rugby ball. So it had been slimmed down, but it was still bigger than what we're used to today. So it's remained difficult to throw. Uh, typically, only guys with big hands could really throw it effectively. And um, so they, some of the manufacturers started producing slimmer balls, slimmer footballs that didn't really meet the game's specifications because the game, you know, by then they had specified it's got to be, you know, that you know there was tolerance, but it had to be this much around this length, da 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 da. And so they, uh, so they started producing these balls. And obviously, if you were a running team, you looked at the slim ball and said, "What is this doing here on the field?" Because I don't need it. You know, my team's going to run the ball. We're not going to go crazy and pass it twelve times a game like some of these passing teams. <laughs> so, you know, they, um, it, you know, it became a controversy. And so, you know, kind of went back and forth for a while. Uh, and then eventually the, you know, the things, they changed the rules basically in 1934 to make, uh, to change the regulations on the ball with specifications. So the ball would be about an inch th- thinner around the girth. But, you know, so one of the things that, um, you know, s- sometimes it doesn't seem to make as big a difference, but, you, you know, you know, you have to realize that the ball in the night before the mid 1920s was not only a bigger, batter ball, but it's kind of a different ball too. And by that, I mean that at that, until the mid 20s, when they, when somebody invented the internal valve, if the ball deflated and they did so regularly because they just didn't have the quality control on these rubber bladders that were inside the ball. When the ball deflated, you had to unlace the ball, pull the bladder out, inflate it much like you would a balloon. I mean, there was like a nipple kind of thing sticking off from the bladder and you inflated that and then you tied it off to keep the air inside the bladder. And then you stuffed it back inside the ball and then you took this leather lacing it was comparable to the lacing, you know, any baseball glove today, you know, it's that flexible lacing and you weave it in and out of the, the different fingers and, you know, the, but, you know, so that's basically what the lacing was on a football back then. You know, now it's this really hard, it's polyvinyl, chlor, polyvinyl chloride, this hard plastic, this stuff we make plumbing pipes out of, you know, that's mm. a it's stiff material. And so, um, but back then it was the same laces that were on a foot, you know, in, in a baseball glove, right? And so it was fairly flexible and it could only be as tight. The lacing on a football was only as tight as the guy who tied it together when they reinflated it. So, you know, quality control and standardization just weren't part of that picture, you know, at, at the time. So, um, so it's just one of those things where you know it, we kind of it's easy to lose sight of the difference at the time, but so you know the ability for a quarterback to throw that you know to throw a spiral and flick their wrist you know and you know flick it over to get a nice tight spiral um, 
it was just much harder to do because these laces barely stuck up over the leather on the surface of the ball, right? And so once they um, once they had the internal valve, and that that became you know the late the second half of the twenties was kind of a transition period where some balls had it and some didn't. But when they you know if you think about a football now in lacing, they there's the laces that go. I'll call them, you know, perpendicular to the length of the ball, right? But then there's two laces that are underneath those perpendicular laces that kind of go back and forth, right? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I don't know if you yeah. can picture that, but so under so putting the lacing underneath the perpendicular laces raised the profile of the laces above the surface of the ball. And because they no longer had to relace the ball, they could make that lacing stiffer. Even before they used plastics, they could make the lacing stiffer. And therefore, it was easier for the quarterback to grip the ball, to throw a spiral, blah, 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 blah. So anyways, I mean, it's one of these things where there, there's a lot of parts of football uh, blocking you know, what we call blocking now was interference originally. That was illegal. And then guys started doing it and they didn't call it. So then it became part of the game. The bootleg footballs, people started using them. They were illegal, but they kind of let it go. And then eventually they changed the rules to reflect that. Right. And so there's a lot of parts of football where people did stuff that was against the rules or against the sportsmanship standards of the time. And Eventually, people kind of said, oh, yeah, let's just let that go. And it it became part of the rules. So bootleg footballs are the reason people throw long, tight spirals 60, 70 yards downfield nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that, you know, fascinating stuff. Now, you, your story of you telling us, you know, with the, the uh, vulcanized rubber bladders, you know, pulling those out and blowing them up. It, it took me back to some things I read, I believe from the rugby days where they still used an actual pig's bladder and uh, the, the poor soul that had to unlace it and blow up that rotting uh, pig's bladder, put their lips on that and blow up the ball. That, that poor sucker had to be the uh, worst job you could have, I think on a football field. Well, and you know, I mean, talk about the pig's bladder but the you know a lot of people think that the the reason football is played in the fall is because you know people had piglets that they raised all summer you know spring and all summer long and then they slaughtered them in the fall and what comes along with slaughtering a pig well you, you have pig's bladders available all of a sudden so mm. a post harvest you know one of the post harvest ceremony celebrations they have this kicking game where you try to kick this pig's bladder from your town into the next or your village into the next and that that's where this football kicking game originated and eventually people started covering that pig's bladder with a leather cover to make it you know more sustainable or you know just to last longer but you know that's that's the origins of the game, right? <laughs> so it's just like, it's kind of crazy, you know, kind of how it's all evolved. It's like every every other technology, things uh, become more uniform and and uh, consistent. Uh, but yeah, but that's, that's where the kind of game starts. 
a lesson within the lesson. That's uh, good, good stuff. And uh, I'm I'm sealing up my envelope right now from these advertisements for Goldsmith that you have on on your website on this uh, this post uh, to get my ten dollar football, so the F five and the X five. So I'm gonna get one of each for ten bucks. Well, hey, what you know one one of the one of the images. So I mean, for those who are just listening and haven't seen the the post, um, it, it'd be this would be a fun one to to go look at just because there's there's a number of images from cat period catalogs that show footballs and there's one from dnm which was a you know a big uh, big manufacturer supplier at the time they had a football they called the slim jim and it was slimmer than the standard ball and they're they're advertising it's right there in their in their catalog there's no secret about it but it 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 was slimmer than the specifications required it to be so well now you're making me hungry for a, a meat product that, that comes in plastic now so we're talking about slim jims yeah. but uh well <laughs> check, check in with nancy Pelosi. i think she's got some <laughs> she, she was eating some well anyway, long story <laughs> Hey, well, Tim, this has uh, been a, another great uh, lesson in uh, help, helping us to understand the game of football and it, where it's came from and uh, some of the intricacies and equipment and uh, just the history of the game and, and how the, the, the folks before us had to play with uh, less than uh, what we see today on, on TV and what our, the players play on the high school level even. And uh, we really appreciate you doing the, the digging up on this research and and sharing it with us each week and sharing it with us each evening. Uh, you know, you can read it on your, your phone or computer. Uh, Tim has a, a great way of uh, delivering that message. And uh, Tim, why don't you share the information with us right now? Sure. Uh, so footballarchaeology.com, you can just go out there, click on any any link and all of them are going to provide an opportunity to subscribe. So if you want to subscribe, just guarantees that you get the, get it every day. You don't have to read it every day. You can save them up and read them on the weekend, whatever. Um, but it'll be delivered into your inbox at seven o'clock Eastern every night. And then um, alternatively, you can follow me on Twitter at football archeology. Um, and if you don't like either of those options, just, go out and check out fo football archaeology anytime you want and you can set the most recent article they're just listed out listed out there in order of their being posted all right tim brown footballarchaeology.com thank you once again for for sharing these stories and this information and uh, we'll talk to you again next week very good look forward to it darren thank you that's all the football history we have today folks join us back tomorrow for more of your football history we invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleat Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, 
and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.